Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, please. Acts chapter 9, draw your attention when you get there to verse 20. We're going to pick up where we left off last time, and I've entitled our Bible study, God has a plan for your spiritual growth. God has a plan for your spiritual growth, just like he had a plan for Saul of Tarsus' spiritual growth. Every single follower of Christ, God has a plan for your growth. Much of the plan will be similar to everyone else's, but there's also unique things in your life. Just like previously we learned that God, nothing is wasted in your life, God uses everything to prepare you for now, and then to prepare, prepare you for what's up ahead, and then to prepare you for what's next. Nothing's wasted in your life. But not only is it for preparation, it's also for discipleship. That's the word that we use, the Bible uses, to describe your growth in following Christ. The word disciple just simply means learner. So every follower of Jesus is a learner, a disciple of Christ. You're a learner of Jesus and what he has to teach you and what he has to teach me. And there's a plan and a purpose for all of our lives that God is working out through the circumstances. I mean, when you think of Saul, the plan that God had for Saul's life, here in chapter 9, he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know. He has a little bit of a hint, I think, when Ananias comes and says, hey, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my namesake. But he doesn't know how much he's going to suffer. He doesn't know the difficulty he's going to have. He doesn't know the isolation he's going to experience. He doesn't know the betrayal. He doesn't know the prison's time. He doesn't know churches turning. He doesn't know all of the things that God will use in his life to make him the man that God wants him to be. I mean, we know because we read the Bible in its fullness, but if, you was a, if God was able to lay that plan before Saul, I think it would be hard to believe. If he told the church everything he was going to do through Saul, it would be hard to believe because they're having a hard enough time right now believing that he's saved. It's hard for them to conceive that someone so vicious, we met Saul as a madman. We met him as an angry man. We met him as a man filled with rage. And in a few days, he's... Now Saul, the believer, it was hard for them to believe. He was the chief opponent of the church. Now he's the chief proponent. Why? Because the gospel has amazing power to transform lives. Don't ever forget that. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You know who wrote that? Paul the apostle. He lived it. He didn't just write it. The power is in the gospel. The power comes from God. When we look at someone like Saul and we see such radical transformation, we step back and we wonder, wow, how is that even possible? But Saul is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. That's the word to describe Saul's life. It encompasses everything about him. God has been very gracious with him. If you're taking notes, I wanna help you understand what the word grace means by giving you an acronym using the letters G-R-A-C-E. I don't ever want you to forget the importance of the grace of God in your life. You might be able to see it in my life and go, oh, I'm so glad you got saved, Dad. That's wonderful, but it's more important in your life for you than it is in my life for you. The grace of God is very important. It is the lens by which you need to see everything in your life. Like if you're reading the Bible or you're living life and you're putting on a pair of glasses like I do because I can't see without them, let the glasses you put on be glasses of grace where you see everything through the grace of God. And here's what it means using the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Your salvation, your forgiveness, your new life is not because of anything you have done. It is not partially you and partially God. Some people approach it and they go, well, you know, God, he did his 90% and I did my 10%. That's not true. It's not 90-10. It's not 80-20. It's not 99.9. .9. And then you got that one little 0.01%. It is all God, not you. 
It's his grace. Why is it important? Well, first of all, you realize you come to God not because of your good works and your good deeds and your morality and your upbringing in your family. You don't come to Christ. You're not saved because of your good works. You're saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Very important that you grasp that. Because we live in a culture, we we live in a time where it's easy to become and start to feel entitled. Like you deserve something. And I've got this and I deserve it. When it comes to the things of God, don't come to him on the basis of what you deserve. Okay, I'm warning you right now. Don't come to God and give me what I deserve. Tell us first so we can back up just a little bit. I know what I deserve. I deserve a Christless eternity. I know the life I was living. I know the behavior. I know the weight of my own sin. I don't want to come to God entitled. I'm not entitled to anything. Everything I have is from the Lord, and it's to the Lord. I don't deserve. I'm not entitled to anything. I'm just thankful. I am so thankful for the grace of God in my life. And so when I come to him, I come to God on the basis of what he has done, not on the basis of what I have done. Because even on my best day, I cannot come to God on the basis of what I have done. Because what I've done is like filthy rags, the Bible says. My righteousness, my goodness, it doesn't measure up. God's riches at Christ's expense, that explains Saul. That explains Ed. And that explains you. How is it that you can experience the forgiveness of God? It's because of his grace, his finished work. Again, Paul would later write these very words to explain what I just said. He told the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our response to God is to serve him with our lives. That's not why we're saved. We're saved because of the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. When we come back to Acts 9, we meet Saul full of pride, full of murder. He wanted to take lives literally because of their devotion to Jesus. He was also a man filled with rage. He was an angry man filled with and controlled by anger. Can I just say for us as a church, there are some angry people among us today. Some men, some women that are filled with rage that is not becoming of a follower of Christ. It's one of those unspoken, unnoticed sins. But there are some among us, whether here or listening from a distance, that your kids are really happy when you come to church because you're a different man when you come to church. You have a different demeanor about you. You're you're not the kind of woman at home that's screaming and yelling and trying to control everything and flipping out. And then all of a sudden you change for an hour or so on Sunday and you're you're in a space in your life right now where your kids are happy, your spouse is happy, people are happy that they get that hour and a half of you without rage and anger. And it's not becoming, it's not from the Lord. The Bible would speak of that rage as a sin. Paul himself would know. He writes to the Galatians. He calls it an outburst of wrath. He speaks of it as a work of the flesh. And it's not God's will for you to live like that. He has delivered you from that. He's given you in exchange self-control, the Bible says. Gentleness. Saul developed a gentleness about him. That's not how we meet him, but that's what he becomes. Later on in his life, he'll even describe himself as a mother the kind of love and care he has for the church. Not just a father, we don't expect that, but he also describes himself as a mother. He's a changed man. And for those of you that have an anger problem, get some help. Repent of your sin. Time is too short for you to be walking around controlling people with your anger or misrepresenting the cause of Christ or scaring people or scaring your kids. It's just not from the Lord. It it, it isn't God's will for your life. So many people are wondering, what's God's will for your life? Well, for some of you, I'm answering that question right now. It is not God's will for your life to be such an angry, rage-filled person. 
Maybe there's some deep hurt you're dealing with. Maybe something happened to you and it changed you and and the Lord has healing and comfort for you. But it's going to get worse. This uncontrolled outburst of wrath, it's going to get worse. And God's calling you to himself today. That's just a word from God today. Saul changed, you can too. He's not known like that any longer. He changed deeply because of the grace of God. Now I love this. A man that wanted great, to do great harm is now a man of great grace. <laughs> you can do that in anything in your life. A man that was involved or a woman that was involved in great sin can now be a man or a woman involved with great grace. And that's where we find him in verse 20 now of Acts chapter 9. It says, immediately he, speaking about Saul, preached the Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? Has he come here for that purpose? So that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul, he jumps in with both feet preaching Jesus. Mark this word in verse 20, immediately. You could also translate it at once. Now, I don't believe the word is being used here in the text chronologically, but generally. And generally what happened is Paul was born again. Some things happened. We know it wasn't right away because he was blind for three days. Uh, He was alone waiting for Ananias. There was time involved here, but the manner of his life was to go for it and jump in. And that's what he's doing here. He started preaching the Christ, the Son of God. He came to Damascus with the intent and motive to persecute, and now he's going into the synagogues and preaching the gospel. And yet the ministry hasn't gone to the Gentiles yet, so the primary, he was going to go and take out those that were loyal to Jesus, but now the primary place he's going is the very place that he wanted to do destruction. His life is so radically transformed. But one thing I want you to notice that wasn't changed radically was his personality. He has the same personality. He came to Damascus all in, and now a follower of Christ, he's all in. We learned last time that he had a zealousness about him, a fire, a fire in him. He had a fire to do bad, now he has a fire to do good. He's zealous for the things of God. And his personality didn't change. And that's encouraging to me because your personality is not going to change all that much either. What is going to change is going to be under the authority of Jesus. It's going to be tempered by the Holy Spirit. But God is going to use you the way you are. You don't have to become somebody else. You don't have to try to learn. You you will be used who you are. Your personality will be what God has made you to be. It'll be refined and they'll be improved and you'll learn some skills. Some things will be added. Some things will be taken away in your life. But you are who you are by the grace of God. And your personality will continue on just like with Saul here. And he confounded them, notice. They're a little hesitant, and I think we would be too. They're a little hesitant. Their response is not like they're amazed. It says they're amazed and they're questioning what's going on here. But they're amazed also because he was very highly educated. It says in verse 22 that they were, they were confounded and that he proved. He was able to take their scriptures and prove the truths that Jesus is Messiah. But this word immediately needs to describe your life. Where you hear something, then you do it. You learn something and you apply it. That that is the manner of your life. You don't procrastinate and put things off when it comes to the things of the Lord. It's not okay. Because you procrastinate, you procrastinate. Before you know it, you lose the zeal, you lose the desire. Sometimes you forget what the Lord gave you. I mean, here's a great test. What was the big thing God gave you in your Bible study last week, in this church or wherever church you were at? What, what, what movement did he give you? And some of you are like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't even remember. And that's a, There's a normal part to that. You've got so much going on during the week. How can you remember everything? Well, one thing is good is to take notes. Last week, 
I was greeting before service, meeting families, and there was a dad with his eight-year-old son there, and he wasn't going to be in Sunday school, so I wanted to prepare him for the Bible study, so I started talking to him, and I said, you know, it would be really good if you took notes and paid attention while I'm teaching, and I'll remember you when I'm teaching, and I'll look at you, and you just take notes and jot them down, and God will help you remember, even in the Bible study, I think he was eight or nine years old, and he, he will, you'll be able to remember, you'll be fine, just pay attention, and he says, okay, I will. And I asked his dad, would you send me the notes afterwards? And, and he did, finally, sent them during the week. And I, I posted them on, on, on my Instagram, but I remember because I showed the dad this week. I said, did you see your son's notes? Yes, I saw them. The classic line in his notes, there was probably like seven or eight lines. You know the classic line? You know what he got from the message last week? God is not weird. <laughs> he got a lot of great things, but he was sure to write that down. And, you know, it ministered to me when it arrived in my email box that a, a kiddo would just understand at such a young age, yeah, you're right, bro, God's not weird. You're going to meet a lot of weird people. You're going to see a lot of weird things in your life. You live in a weird world, but you want to know this, God is not weird. And that's what's going to stick with him. So I realized that you would be in Bible study and not remember but one way to get over that hump is to do things quickly, to respond quickly. Don't be known as the procrastinator putting things off, but be known as the one immediately, immediately. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, I want to draw your attention to the space between verse 21 at the end and the beginning of verse 22. That's an important space. It doesn't say anything in that space, but you can write a little note that three years pass between verse 21 and verse 22. Three years pass. We know that because in Galatians chapter 1, in verse 16, Paul says that God's revealing his son in him, that he might preach among the Gentiles, that he did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then back to Damascus. So he was in Arabia in the wilderness, in the desert for three years, and then, chapter 20, uh, then verse 22 starts. And it's hard sometimes to go, well, Ed, how would I ever know that unless you taught me that? Like, how could I know that? Because you're just teaching through. And the whole section, the whole, as you're reading through the Bible, this whole section actually covers, these, the verses we're looking at today, actually covers anywhere between 10 and 13 years. And you, get, you might even get frustrated or you might question, how does he know that? How does he know that? I look it up. That's how I know it. And I want you to learn how to look it up. And if you want to learn these kind of things, I want to encourage you to pick up a book, Haley's Bible Handbook. This is what my pastor told me to pick up. It's a very small introductory paragraph, chapter by chapter summary of the Bible. And it's pretty thick, but it's small. And it just gives little summaries. It's not hard to understand. It's not hard to read. But when you're doing your devos, you can have Haley's Bible Handbook open to the section while you're reading the Bible. And I didn't look. I should have looked to see if Haley's has this. But somewhere in my studies through the years, whether it was my pastor or commentaries or whatever I'm looking at, looking things up, you have the same tools available to you. You're just going to learn how to use them. So start with a book like Haley's Bible Handbook. Uh, it's very helpful, and you will learn these little things like, okay, there's three years in between these two verses. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because these three years of being alone was God's will for the discipleship of Saul. He got him away. You would think just the opposite. We would probably choose just the opposite. Somebody so smart, somebody so prominent, somebody that everyone knows, we're going to want to use him right away. Let's put him up front. Let's make sure. But that wasn't God's will. God's will was to get him away for three years by himself in isolation. And that's how the ministry of Saul starts. The ministry of Saul starts actually with blindness and being alone in blindness. And then God sends Ananias to him, lays hands on him, encourages him, the scales fall. Then the next big movement in his life is to start sharing the gospel. Then the next big movement is, I need to get you away. You need to be by yourself. Three years. Three years in the desert. A time of preparation. A time of isolation. A time of separation for what God has for his life. We often will describe 
or use the description of the desert as a time of isolation and dryness. Now, my apologies in advance to the three people that do like the desert, but most of us don't like the desert. The sand, the heat, the cacti, like it's just barren and hot and uncomfortable. And I know many of you like the desert, but when we think of the desert experience or sometimes maybe even a wilderness experience, it speaks of all the challenging things that are in the desert, of the dryness, of the loneliness, of the quietness, where God would take someone like Saul and say, I'm gonna train you by yourself. As one commentator said, I think it was Pastor Skip Heitzig said, that he was being enrolled in the university of the Holy Spirit, the seminary of the Holy Spirit, where he was gonna be taught how every symbol, every sacrifice, every type, every picture, every jot and tittle related to and reflected upon the person and work of Jesus Christ all throughout the scriptures. Remember, this is a man, Saul, from a young age, dedicated himself to knowing the Bible. He knew the Bible, front words and back, memorized most of it, if not all of it. Be common for a Pharisee to do that. And now, with that knowledge now, he's being introduced to all the pictures and the types, which, by the way, on our midweek Bible study, we are doing the exact same thing in the book of Genesis. The foundation of Genesis is filled with pictures and types that go forward to the rest of the Bible. Just this last Wednesday, we were looking at how Abraham was a type of the father, Isaac, a type of the son. Abraham has his servant, unnamed, but we think he was Eleazar, sends him back home to find, with an impossible task, to what? Find a bride for his son and bring her to the son. And we saw how Eliezer was a type of the Holy Spirit and Rebecca, a type of the church coming. I mean, it's fascinating. I'm not gonna give you the whole Bible study, but that was part of it this last Wednesday because the Bible's filled with types and pictures that point to Jesus Christ. Jesus said as much, didn't he? He said in the volume of the book, it is written of me, he said. It's three years, Saul's getting this kind of education. And he, got, he came back with his theology straight. We know he got his theology straight. Why? Because, well, when you want to learn about the grace of God, just read the book of Romans. Paul wrote Romans to d- explain the gospel of grace. He got that straight. He, he understood the church. You read the book of Ephesians, ecclesiology, the study of the church. He's like, oh, now I understand the place of the church. He got his theology straight about eschatology, the study of end times. As you read through 1 Thessalonians, as it speaks about the second coming and the rapture of the church. I don't want you to be discouraged when you seem to be in a season of your life where you're being isolated, where you're being alone. Because God can use those times. God wants to use those times. He desires us to grow in grace and draw near to him. He wants you to come alongside of him. And just notice here, Notice here, the beginning of Saul's dynamic ministry was being alone with God. And it's important that you learn to be alone with God and to embrace the seasons of isolation and loneliness. This won't be the first time in Saul's life. Before we're even done with the text here, he'll have even a deeper sense of loneliness. And it's a challenging time, but it's also a fruitful time because God is always at work. Now, notice again in verse 23, now after many days were passed, how many days were this? About about a thousand, about three years. Many days have been passed. The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates night and day to kill him. And the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Typical first century cities would be surrounded by walls, very thick walls, and have one way in and one way out the gates of the city. And now Saul is being further isolated from his past by losing his friends. These would be waiting, these Jews in Damascus would be waiting for him to cooperate with him to destroy the church. But now, after Saul is born again, their resistance to his message, to the gospel, now makes them murder. They're no longer wanting to take out the church. Their attention has been drawn. We've got to get rid of this man. He, he has to go. This is not the man that we expected. And God sends 
Like with Jesus, using the terminology of the day, God sent a disruptor to Damascus to get people's attention. God sent Jesus as a disruptor into culture to get people's attention. And I wonder how many of you have been sent into a place to be a disruptor. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean you need to make a ruckus of things. But by your very faith in Jesus Christ, you will have enemies. People are not going to like you anymore. And that's what, like, that, no, who likes that in life? Oh, let's follow Jesus and lose all my friends. Nobody wants that. But it's part of the package. You don't even have to, you, you know, in your own life, you're not different. And the differences that are in your life, they're just, all the good parts of you are being made better. And all the bad parts of you are being taken care of. Like this life with Jesus is a good thing, but your friends don't interpret it that way. They just see, I lost a friend. I, now I can't party with you anymore. I can't take advantage of you anymore. I can't. I, I mean, I remember early days, like, like I, had, I had a lot of, what we call friends today are most likely just acquaintances and party buddies, right? That, like they, they were, I still have very, very, very close friends from back in those days, but we're all saved now. <laughs> like we're, we're all walking with the Lord now, but we were close friends then and now we're close friends now. But a lot of the acquaintances I used to party with, like they got so upset with me, didn't want anything to do with me, and it was hard to deal with. I mean, I'm on fire for the things of the Lord, but it is not fun not to have people like you. And then there's your family. Like early on when I started following Jesus, I, my family's accused, like, what are you involved in? You're like, you're like in a cult, man. You're in a cult. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you think a cult is? Well, you know, you're at church a lot now. Uh, yeah, like that's what you do, dad. <laughs> Like you go to church and you worship God. Well, you know, you read your Bible a lot. Yeah, like that's what you, you, we had a Bible too, but it only had the birth certificates in it. Like it's actually supposed to be read. And I had some fanciful discussions with my parents. But again, you know, what happened over time is they watched my life. I got to lead my parents to the Lord. So yeah, that's like, like you might lose people for a little bit, but you steady on with them. You love them. But hey, losing friends, like, and then for Saul, he didn't just lose friends. And colleagues, they actually turned on him and wanted to kill him. I mean, this is ironic, is it not? It's ironic that the people that were planning to kill are now going to take out their leader. And that's just the way of the Lord, further isolating Saul. It's important to the degree of isolation you might feel, it's important for you to realize, it seems to me biblically that the more you need to grow in Christ, the more you need to pull away from your past life. So if you were really deep into stuff, then you just need some time away. You, you just need some time to think. You need to get your head in a different space. You need to learn things about the Lord. You need to learn how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. You need to learn. And this is something I learned, unfortunately, with crisis. When big crisis entered my family's life 10 years ago, we found out two things. One, we found out who our friends were, which was very encouraging to us. We found out there was a season, there was a group of people that were true, loyal friends, very wonderful. But you know what else we found out? Who our friends were not. And that was painful. It still hurts today. It's still very painful. Except that God's saying, you got to know this, Ed. you got to walk in the light. You can't just walk with your eyes closed. you got to know who your friends are, who your friends aren't, so that you know how I'm going to use you in their lives. And what's true for me is true for you. I'm just a follower of Jesus like you are. And so the things in your life that are happening, like with Saul of Tarsus here, and the plan for his discipleship included a lot of isolation. A lot. Except that it's not like permanent. Not going to be away forever. God's put us in community. We're going to make friends. We're going to have new friends. God has put us in community. But sometimes we're, we live in a time right now where community is so over, that, even that word, just overused and, and it was just, I got to have people, I got to have people. You, don't, you, you need the Lord. That's what you need, number one. But in our culture, what has happened? We've even seen this new diagnosis in this, from the psychological world of codependency. So it's not just community, like you can't live without them. You can't live without them. And I'm telling you right now, with you and the Lord, you're going to be just fine. You're going to learn how to live and then you're going to be back into community stronger so that you can learn how to give preference to one another. You're going to learn how to love people more than yourself. Like there's a lot to be learned, but you've got to get alone with the Lord and embrace this new season as hard as it is. I mean, even in a small way, in a small way here in the church, we try to 
put you on that path. Like if you're new to the church, you've come from another church, uh, maybe you've served in a high capacity or you, know, you were used greatly in another church, we, we are, we're going to ask you, we're actually going to tell you, we're actually going to require it from you that you can't make a service commitment in this church for at least six months. At least, that's a bare minimum. We're just going to have, just, no, you, you don't need to do anything here. Just enjoy the church. Get to know one another. Just, just say hi to folks. Make sure you, this is the pulpit you want to receive from. Make sure this is the place you want to worship God, where you want to raise your kids. Like, make sure this is the place. Don't jump in too quickly, but instead just come and don't be anybody for a while. <laughs> just you and the Lord. And that, rustled, that ruffles people's feathers. Like, you don't understand what I did in my previous church. No, I, I'm sure God used you greatly, but just wait. Yeah, but you don't understand. I got this great gift. Hey, don't worry about it. Just wait. It takes some time so you learn your identity in Christ is not from what you do, but from who you are. That you are just as valuable sitting there receiving the word, worshiping. By the way, if you served at a high capacity in your previous church, you need to rest and take a breath and relax and rest so you can be strengthened for what the Lord may have for you here. So how do you get involved? We have small groups here. We have men's and women's. We've got the life groups. But you know, you want to serve. You still want to serve. You can always show up super early on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Wednesday. And you can help us clean the building if you want. Take out the trash. Make sure everything's ready for folks. Walking, I came in this morning uh, early and there's a brother out there picking up trash in the parking lot. His first assignment in the school of ministry. Good job. But he's just out there with a bucket and just, but then he connected with me. We made eye contact. I started talking to him and I said, look, bro, you don't want to know why you're out here. It's not just to pick up trash. It's for proximity. You're out here in the parking lot. You're going to meet people in the parking lot. You're going to talk with people in the parking lot. You're going to pray with people in the parking lot. That's why you're in the parking lot. And it was so good. He said, thank you. I said, you're welcome. Go pick up some more trash. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. But we've all picked up trash, yeah? So like the reality is, is that God has a work for you and sometimes it's alone, but it won't be for long. It won't be for long. However, we'll see in a moment. It's, it's not all heaven and daisies and roses in a church. You realize that, right? It, it, churches can be very difficult places to be in, but it is the way that God grows us. So notice, after many days would pass, he's learning, verse 26 now, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, Now he wants to, he's from Damascus, back in Jerusalem. He wants to join the disciples. Basically, he goes to church, to the Jerusalem church. And they were all afraid of him and didn't believe that he was a disciple. Now, imagine how you would feel. Three years, alone. People want to kill you in Damascus. And by the way, I forgot to read uh, in verse 25, the disciples took him by night and let him down through a wall in a large basket. That's another place of isolation, by the way. He was let down the wall. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that the, a believer must have lived. Apartments were in the walls of the city, so they were wide enough to have an apartment in them. And according to 2 Corinthians, he was let down through a window of an apartment in the wall in a basket. The Greek word here is the same word that would be used to describe, the same word that was used to describe the baskets when they fed the thousands and they put the fragments in it. But this was a large basket, a big enough for him to be in there. So, so you've got to understand what Saul's going through. Saul heading to Damascus. He's this strong man. I'm going to take out the church. Then he's blinded and humiliated in his blindness, led like a baby into the city. Somebody was holding his hand, making sure he got into the city safely and settled in Judas's house. And then he steps up. They don't want him. Then he steps up. They try to kill him. Then he steps up and now they got, you, we got to get rid of him. They're going to, they're, they're so, they'd want to kill him so much. We got to get him out of here. Can't take him through the gates, but hey, we got a friend. Let's let him down in a basket. Well, you know, one of the ways that you would take out your trash in the first century, if you had an apartment in the wall, was in a basket outside your window. You let it down. And jump, dump it right outside. Well, if you go to Israel with us on one of the stops when we get to Hezekiah's tunnel, I'll point out to you how they throw the trash on the, it's all on the hillside right there. The trash is there where the, the Arab settlements are right behind Hezekiah's tunnel. They just throw it out, just throw it out. That was not uncommon. So you got Saul here. He's all alone everywhere he turns. Now he's coming to the church. Now the church rejects him. And, and that's just why it's so important for us to embrace 
the men and women that God has in our lives in the church, sitting around us, greeting, like taking it seriously. Because you just don't know how somebody's walking in. Who knows what Saul's feeling, being so alone, going through so, th- so much. Like, like when we have this, this routine of things that we do in a church service, Pastor Reno will say, greet somebody, like, and we do it so much, but we, I mean it. Like, I mean it. Sometimes I'll get up, you guys are greeting so much, I'll say, get a phone number and call them later, right? Like, you can do that. You can call someone. You can email them. You can become a friend. But sometimes you might be rejected. Sometimes you might, and it's just painful. It's painful. The church can be a very painful place. And you need to know that. That's why if you've been hurt in a church and it still stings like it happened yesterday, it's because you were all in. You love, you were walking in love. I have found that to the degree that you love is to the degree that you hurt. And betrayal in the church is a very painful thing to endure. It is not what you expect. It is not what most people experience, but betrayal is very painful. Rejection is very painful. Again, using a terminology of our day, like if you experience any kind of rejection or any kind, it can trigger other types of rejection that you felt in the past. It becomes a trigger point, and you just wonder, why am I never settled? And that is another reason why God will take you away for a while. Why you're like, man, I just come in, I don't want to talk to anyone, and I leave. That's your season right now. Just don't let it be your whole life. But while you're healing up and while you're growing, it's okay. You come and go as the Holy Spirit leads you. But just know this, there's coming a day where you're going to be stronger. And there's coming a day when you're going to be stronger in your healing. And when you arrive at that day, you go, when is that going to happen? And I, I don't know, but you'll know when you know. It's one of those, you'll know. And then you'll be able to take that next step. It's timid. You know, you'll be timid because you're like, I don't want to get bit again. <laughs> I don't want to get hurt again. But you can't live the rest of your life with a hard heart. Please don't. Don't harden your heart for people. You matter to God and you matter to us. And there's something in your life you have to add to me. There's something in my life I have to add to you. And let me just say, I've been in this church 23 years. And if I harden my heart every time I've been bit, beat up, betrayed or whatever, like I'd be a stone figure right now. Like they would carry me out. And the only part of me, maybe my mouth would move a little bit. Um, But I refuse to harden my heart because people are people and it hurts. doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It just means I'm not going to define myself by the hurts. I'm a child of God. He loves me, cares for me, desires to use me. And to that I say, amen. Amen. And it's the same way with you. Now, consider this as we wind down here. The church rejects him, but there's always someone there. Be this person. You ready? Verse 27. But Barnabas. You know what his name means? Son of encouragement. This is a legit guy that sees Saul and his rejection. So Barnabas takes him, it says, brought him dry to the apostles and said, I vouch for this guy. It's basically what the verse says. I vouch for him. He told him how Paul had seen the Lord on the road. Secondly, that Paul heard the voice of Jesus spoke with him. And then thirdly, how he preached boldly at Damascus. He basically just brought him to the apostles and said, this guy is saved. Take my word for it. He's saved. And Barnabas, we're going to learn, is a very special man in the life of Saul. He needed him for a season. You can read ahead. They were ministry partners for many years until they weren't, which is kind of a bummer because they got into a little argument and they couldn't resolve the argument and then they split up. So once again, even somebody that was very important to Saul was taken away from him because they couldn't resolve an argument. That's just the way it is. It happens. God took Barnabas this way. God takes Saul that way. And we'll study that later on in the book of Acts. But right now, Barnabas is encouraging him. It's going to be okay, Saul. It's going to be great. This guy's legit. Verse 28. So he was with him at Jerusalem coming in and going out, so they become friends. They're ministering together, studying the Bible together, I'm sure, praying together. Verse 29, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. The Jews in Damascus, hundreds of miles away, they want to kill him. Comes back to Jerusalem, now these Hellenistic Jews want to kill him. You remember these Jews, remember? This is the advantage of teaching verse by verse. You ready? You remember these guys. You already know them. You met them. These are the guys that stoned Stephen. 
the ones that put their garments at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. And now they want to kill him. This guy, he is, Saul is a man without a country. He's a man without a nationality. He's a man without his former religious experience. He needed to come out of these things. God's doing a new work in him. That's part of the process. God's doing a new thing. And he had to let it all go. And it's happening so quickly in a couple verses. But remember, it's about 10 10 to 13 years of time covered here. In the first 10 to 13 years of his walk, God is doing a deep, deep work in him. And he's rejected, he's received, he's reassigned, he's shunned. Disappointing time for the church, but an encouraging time for a guy like Barnabas. The hunted becomes, the hunter becomes the hunted. And he ends up, it says in verse 30, when the brethren find out they got him out again, sent him to Caesarea, spent there a little bit of time, but he ends up in Tarsus back at home where he spent the next seven to 10 years. We're not sure how much exactly, but sent the next seven to 10 years there as God is discipling him. And to me, there's so much irony here. Ironically, the Christians in Damascus that he came to kill ended up saving his life. That's the work of the gospel. And what's ironic for such a public figure like Saul, his ministry started in isolation. It it went forward and he had people in and out of his life. But you know how his ministry ends? Alone. I was just recently looking up the word like-mindedness again, studying for a future message this week, and and just reminded of this passage where Paul's writing, and he says, I don't have anybody like-minded right now except for Timothy, and then I'm going to send him to you. So even in his life, he had one guy with him, but he was willing to be alone so that the church would be strengthened. He started alone, and he ends alone, and yet he was used greatly. It's ironic. So much irony in the scriptures. And I don't know the pathway to God. That was God's will for Saul. I don't know the pathway for you. I'm still learning the pathway for me. But I do know this. Everyone here, God has a plan for your spiritual growth. He's going to use it in your life. He had a plan to get you where you're at, and he has a plan to get you moving forward so that you and I will grow spiritually, especially in these last days, especially in the days in which we live. I know every preacher and pastor and pundit, they'll hit the pulpit. We live in the last days. It seems like every generation has said that. But man, I mean, open your eyes. You see things in this generation no other generation has ever seen. The condition of this world, the technology, uh, the Antichrist, all the little Antichrist spirits, the things that are set up, the one world government, the Antichrist mentality around the world. Like you are in the last days. Like Peter said, Peter said, we are closer to the coming of the Lord than ever before. But here's the thing. Jesus said in the last days, listen, he said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And I'll declare to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, or you pra- those of you that practice lawlessness. There's a group of people that are in and out of the church in the last days that are trusting in themselves doing things in the name of God, but no relationship whatsoever. Is that how you think you're going to get to heaven? Do you think you're going to get to heaven by your good deeds or by the few things you do in God's name or the the couple of times you read the Bible? Is that how it's not going to get you there? It won't work. You need Jesus. You need to repent of your sins and surrender your life to Jesus. I mean, I think of the heaviness of the last days also comes with it, just, just tiredness and, and worry and fear and anxiety. And I think of what Jesus said. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. And I'm certain there are some listening to me right now, you're just, you're looking for true rest. Another version of the Bible puts it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Maybe I'm talking to somebody right now that's tried to find happiness in this world. And I mean, you've been very successful. You've hit your goals and 
and you have accomplished what you wanted at this age and you've been super successful, but it hasn't satisfied you, has it? Because this world has a way of setting all these goals and then once you get it, oh, you got to move again. And then once you get it, oh no, it's over here. And I know you got this, but what about over here? And, and it's just constantly taking you over and over and over before you, you've worked your whole life and you've never been satisfied, but you had everything you've ever wanted. Or so you thought. And you live with all the goals in life, all the education, you've made everybody happy, you've done everything you've thought, you've got all the money you've ever wanted, all the house, whatever it is that you measure, but you're still empty. It doesn't satisfy. You reach this goal and then it's another one. And you reach that one and it's another one. Then they pull the rug out from you and you got to do this one. Then the market tanks and then real estate does this. And then, oh, they don't have any cars to buy. On and on the list goes. And you're running and running and running. Maybe someone here today is found themselves at a place where, hey, Ed, I, I'm, I'm super happy. I got everything I've ever wanted, but there's still an emptiness. As one pastor said, it's a hole in your heart. Maybe you've been disappointed and things haven't gone the way you've hoped. Things didn't work out the way you planned, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, or often I think you're at a stage in life, you go, I thought I'd be somewhere else at this age. It's time to come to Jesus today and say, Lord, I'm tired of living my own way. I want your plan for my life. As Greg Laurie once said, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's time to come to the Lord. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And he invites you into a relationship. It's amazing because if, if you think about it, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you nonetheless. That's how much he loves you individually. He loves you with a real genuineness. And I have an invitation for you and anyone here, high or low, filled with friends or feeling alone, everyone that's not sure that they're, if they're a Christian or not, if you don't have a certainty that Christ is living in you, you don't have the confidence that you will go to heaven when you die, that can all change right here, right now. So church, let's begin to pray. Father, I ask that you would draw men and women to yourself today. Kind of looking at the life of Saul can speak to a lot of our lives, a lot of things going on with us. And I just pray there are those that are super successful, but still empty. There are those that really didn't hit the goals they thought and empty. There are those disappointed and, and wrestling. There are those that are isolated right now and alone those that are hurting and even grieving today. God, I pray you would reveal yourself to them in a fresh way, a new way. And as the church is praying, if you're here and you'd say, Ed, I just need to, I just want to follow Jesus. I accept that invitation. I want to ask you, wherever you are, would you just stand to your feet right now? I want to pray with you. Like God, like this is a public, I just felt like this weekend, this is the weekend for a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ, your repentance of sin. And so if you're here right now, I want to invite you to do just that. Just stand up right where you're at. You're in a place where um, we, say, it's a safe place to the best of our ability. God bless you in the back. Who else would say to me, Ed, I want to follow Jesus. That's my, that's my choice. I want to respond. I want to take that invitation. I want the forgiveness of my sins. God bless you. God bless you guys here to the side. It is a real high and holy moment. This is God's appointment for you. He's prepared you for this moment. This is the time. I know downstairs in the, in the, at the res or online or in the radio, we don't see you, but God acknowledges it. Don't you worry about that. God sees your response. Just pull your car over right now. Like just get in a place where you can get some time just with God. Maybe take your laptop into another room. This is the moment. This is God's word to you. Anyone else? You know, there's a whole new category of people too I want to speak to very quickly. They're, they're called prodigals. And you know, only Christians, only a prodigal would know what that means. Someone who has been walking with the Lord and has been away for a while. A prodigal. God is calling you back home as well. And maybe you'd say, I'm like the prodigal son. Left doing my own thing, ran away from God, 
but God is calling you back home. Listen, if you want your sin forgiven, if you want to know that when you die, you'll go to heaven, if you want Jesus Christ to come into your life, right now is the time. So if you're a prodigal, I want you to respond too. Because you know, sometimes prodigals come in and out of the church. They come in and out. And I'm glad you're here. I am so glad that this is the day that you're here. But let, us, let, it, be, let it be the time you seal. You're back for good. Not, I don't mean to church either. I just mean walking with the Lord. Are you a prodigal that's coming home today? I want, you, I want to give you a chance to publicly respond as well. And so just stand up so I could pray with you. God bless you. We had a brother last night was a part of the foundational part of this church years ago. Bless you. And I remember the day he left. God bless you guys. I remember the day he left. And then he got into some things. Then he got very, very sick for 12 years. Then he got into some other things. And he sent me a text this week uh, of some pictures where he says, you know what, I'm getting rid of all this sin in my life, getting rid of the sin in my house. And he showed me some pictures of things that he was getting rid of and burning and throwing away. And when you know it, he was worshiping right next to me on the front row last night. It's time to come home. And he gave a testimony. He's not here today, but he gave a testimony last night. I invited him up so you could hear it from his own lips. God's calling people home in these last days. Come on back. It's okay. And so pastors, go ahead and connect or any of the guys that you see standing, go connect so they know just like Ananias, um, just like Barnabas, that they're not alone. So we got some up here. We have some over here on the side to the left. Um, if you're a leader, you don't have to be a pastor. You're a leader in the church. Get up. Be used of God right now. There's someone right here. I just think there's a personal uh, connection point right now. So you have some up here. Thank you. Don't let anyone be missed. Back here. Avant's got that. Good, good. So just pray with me, would you? You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Help me to turn away from my sinful past and to follow you with my life. I'm serious about following you all the days that you allow me. And Lord, I know that you're moving on the hearts of men and women today, that you are doing a work among us that cannot be ignored, cannot be denied, and cannot be contained. You are ready to explode upon this city, and we just want to be a very small part of it. Help us, God, to learn what we need to learn, to get rid of what we need to get rid of, and to move forward with whatever you have for us. Bless those that responded today, standing and sitting, near or far, have your way with them in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.